Pastor Xavier Reese says, there's no mistaking the simple truth. Some people are willing to accept Jesus as a good man, a prophet, but that is to misunderstand his person. Jesus is God, and if you cannot accept him as God, he can be and will be nothing else. You can think he's a moral teacher, a good man, a prophet, but if you don't believe that he's God, then you misunderstand his person. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. You know, even for the doubting Thomases of the world, usually seeing is believing. But as Pastor Xavier continues our study of the series of signs that John included in his gospel, giving evidence that Jesus is the Son of God, we'll see for some that not even witnessing Jesus' miracles firsthand was enough to convince them of his deity. Now let's join our teacher drawing simple truths from a study entitled, Do You Misunderstand Jesus? John chapter 6, verse 41 to 71. The apostles have just returned from their mission, and they have told Jesus all that they have done and all they have taught, and they have also informed him that John the Baptist has been beheaded by Herod. And so Jesus took them aside for a while to rest. But the crowds are following Jesus because they have seen how he has performed healings for all diseases. And Jesus looked upon the crowds, and the scriptures tell us that he had compassion on them because he saw them as sheep having no shepherd. The occasion here provides the setting for the feeding of the 5,000, an interesting account in that it is the only account that is recorded in all four Gospels. An incredible miracle in that all those who witnessed it could not deny it. In their enthusiasm and contentment, they sought to make Jesus their king. But he would not be received by them simply because he provided their physical needs. So he turned away from them. He sent his disciples to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is a lake, but they call it the Sea of Galilee, towards Bethsaida and Capernaum before retreating to a high mountain to pray. The fifth miracle or sign is the walking on the water. And here Jesus performs this sign not for the public, but for the private benefit of his disciples. I would imagine that his disciples at this point going across the sea might be discussing the fact like, why didn't he let them make him king? Did he not come for that? Maybe he's not king. And here he comes walking on the water to prove to them that he's already king. And the nature obeys him. Jesus then rebukes the crowds for following him to Capernaum because they only were interested in the physical bread that he had provided for them. But then he also admonishes them not to labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures for everlasting life. 
which is given by himself, by the authority of the Father who sent him. And I love Jesus because Jesus is confrontational. Now, a lot of us don't like confrontation. We do everything to skirt it, and we bring a lot of problems in our life. Then others of us are too confrontational, and we create problems. <laughs> But Jesus is always, he he doesn't let anybody get away with anything, and he knows how to deal with it. There's that balance of compassion, mercy, and reprove, rebuke. And you see him in the scriptures continually. And so they ask him for a sign in order to validate what he has said. And they point to Moses. Moses gave us manna. (laughs) Now, remember, what's amazing in the request is he just fed from 20 to 40,000 people. They want another sign. The scriptures are very clear that miracles do not necessarily make believers. In fact, the people who are constantly asking for signs are people who want to walk by sight and not by faith. And so Jesus not only rebukes them, but they don't hear the rebuke. They demand another sign. Now, remember that the background is the Passover. And here they come. And this, you must keep this thought in your mind as you go through this whole passage. It's Passover time. Okay? And they're coming. Now, the response of the people in view of what Jesus has said was to reject Jesus. And our text provides for us three reasons why the people rejected Jesus. Verses 41 to 71. Let me read the passage, and then I will give you the three reasons. Beginning verse 41. The Jews then murmured against him, because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he says, I have come down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered and said to them, Do not murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draw him. And I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught of God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the man in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, and the one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, unless you eat of my flesh of the Son of Man and eat the blood, you have no life in you. However, or whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father has sent me, And I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your father or your fathers ate the manna and are dead. 
He who eats this bread will live forever. Now these things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured about this, he said to them, Does this offend you? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life, and the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. And he said, Therefore I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my Father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to the twelve, Do you also want to go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for it was he who would betray him, being one of the twelve. Three reasons are given to us for rejecting Jesus. First, they misunderstood his person, verses 41 to 51. Secondly, they misunderstood his purpose, verses 52 to 59. And thirdly, they misunderstood his promised kingdom, verse 60 to 71. Let's look at the first. They misunderstood his person, verse 41 to 51. Notice first in verse 41, Jesus was rejected by the Jews for declaring he was from heaven. They understood exactly what he was saying at this point. The Jews here are the, are the subject, and as you know, this is a key phrase of John throughout the scriptures. Sometimes it refers to the leader, sometimes just to the general identification of Jews. And the, Jesus was rejected by the Jews for declaring that he was from heaven, and so the Jews murmured against Jesus. And the word murmur means to grumble, to mutter saying something in a low tone. Now, parents, you know what a murmur is. Your kids walk around and say, oh, I can't believe you want me to do the transition. And you say, what? It, it, it's, it's low enough so you cannot understand them. But it's loud enough to know and to voice that they don't like what you told them. A murmur. You know that the Jews of old, that's all they did. God had delivered them from Egypt, and yet they murmured, murmured, murmured. They were the chosen people, and they kept murmur, murmur, murmur. You see, at this point, the Jews had not changed very much from their forefathers, had they? They were the same. The claim of Jesus was very, very clear. He was claiming deity in verse 41. For they say, he said he was the bread which came down from heaven. He had already said that in verse 33, 35, and 38. Even as verse 32 of chapter 6, Jesus said to them, Moses, surely I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the bread or the true bread from heaven, the genuine, the original. He's claiming deity. But he was also declaring his mission to impart life. You see, he came with a purpose. He came with a mission. 
they, they didn't understand it in the right way, but he was declaring his mission. And again, we saw that in John 1, 4, the first chapter. Uh, here again in verse 33, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Also verse 35, he says it. Verse 40, he says it again. Now notice secondly in verse 42, that Jesus had been perceived only as the son of Joseph by the Jews. This is interesting to me because the Jews were unable to reconcile the two truths. They knew who he was, and yet now they were hearing his proclamation. And they could not reconcile the two truths. Like Nicodemus, who said, how can a man be born again when he's old? Can he enter his mother's womb for the second time? Here they are. How can he claim deity? He's the son of Joseph. And so often we get in trouble when we attempt to reconcile God's irreconcilable truths. And we want to come to a settled conclusion by our natural understanding. Now, there are many things that we do understand by our natural understanding, by the grace of God, but He doesn't count on our understanding. For we walk by faith and we walk in obedience to the revelation of God. That's true. They knew Him as the son of Joseph. They knew his father and mother. They could not understand how Jesus could say that he came down from heaven. It baffled them. You see, the Jews never believed the virgin uh, birth. They figured it and accepted it as a story for Mary to cover her depravity and her faithlessness to Joseph. They rejected it. They called Jesus an illegitimate child in John 8, 41. They say, we are not born of fornication. Our father is Abraham. Can you imagine telling that to God? <laughs> they ultimately crucified him because he made himself equal with God. The high priest understood it. Are you the son of God? He says, thou sayest. He says, what further proof do we need? Make no mistake, Matthew 26, 63, and 64 is just one of the passages which tells you that the Jews turned him over and put him to death because he made himself out to be God. Absolutely. Now, notice thirdly in verse 43 through 46 that Jesus confronts them in their murmuring about him. I like Jesus. He confronts things. I love to confront issues. Now, I don't like confrontation for the sake of argument. But when things happen... Things occur, things have to be confronted. Resolve, get out of the way, and you move on. Now, when you don't confront, you only put off the inevitable and it gets worse. Now, if you're a person who confronts all the time simply by the, the concept of you're in authority, you're in control, and it's going to be your will, then you create more problems. But Jesus confronts with truth. He can make no mistake. So we need to study him and learn from him. Notice in verse 43, he rebukes them for their murmuring by telling them literally to stop their grumbling. Have you ever seen a parent with a child in the grocery store? And they're tearing things and yelling and his nanny, and then she's going, oh, Johnny, now, come on. No, little Johnny needs to get confronted and say, Johnny, if you don't straighten up, I'm going to straighten you up. 
Jesus never lets anybody slide. He confronts in a loving but a stern way. He confronts, which is the greatest evidence of love. As we look to our world today, I would categorically have to say that parents do not love their children for the most part because they never confront their children. They don't draw boundaries. They don't bring consequences. And so their children grow up as having no instruction and no boundaries, open to destruction. Notice that he doesn't even address what they are murmuring about. Is that interesting? We always jump right on. Wait, what do you mean? What do you mean call me that? You know, we want to jump on the thing. Take it personal. He doesn't even deal with the issue of what they're murmuring. What does he do? Instead, Jesus tells them the reason why they had not come to him. He says, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. Verse 44. He goes right to the source. See, the reason you're grumbling is because the Father has not drawn you. Now, I just wonder how much of the murmuring and grumbling that goes on in the church is due to people who God has never drawn. How interesting. We looked at the wilderness example, and this is part of it here. It says there went out a mixed multitude with them, and they were the ones that began the murmuring, complaining, and infecting others. Hmm. The fact that the Father has to draw a person does not exclude the flip side of free will or personal responsibility of every human being. Remember, don't get lopsided. There's a flip side to it. The doctrine of predestination and free will or human responsibility is and was intended to be a blessing to the sinner for salvation. But how tragic that man has turned it into a divisive camp by interpreting them out of their complementing complex and context. We've chosen sides. Predestination is biblical. Free will is biblical. Now, anybody want to reconcile them this morning? You can't. And what was intended to be a blessing we in the church have made it a battleground. It should not be. Thank God he's predestinated me. And thank God I have chosen. And when I've chosen, then I have found out that he has chosen me. And I don't understand it. And so people try to corner me. Are you a Calvinist or are you Armenian? I tell them I'm a Calmenian. Because the Bible speaks of predestination and the Bible speaks of free will. Never separate them. They're Siamese twins. And if you cut one out, it'll die. You leave them alone. It's important. Now notice the consequence of not being drawn or coming is that Jesus would not raise them in the last day. Strong words. Are they there to make them feel bad? No, they're there to warn them, which really is a warning to what? Their own personal responsibility. It's not a warning against predestination. It's a warning to personal responsibility. Notice he reminds them of the prophetic promise in Scripture, verse 45. He backs it up with Scripture. This is good. 
The quote is from Isaiah 54, 13. And he refers to, it, would be, it was prophesied that God would teach them. Here he was teaching. What was Jesus saying? He was saying, I am God teaching you. Now people say Jesus never claimed to be God. You better read the Bible real, real good <laughs> in its context. He reveals his unique person in verse 46. He is the only one who has seen the Father. We've already seen that in John 1.18. He's the one that reveals him. No one has ever seen God, only Jesus. Also, he is the one sent by the Father. Now, the fact that Jesus was sent by the Father is mentioned 37 times in the Gospel of John. I counted them last night. 37 times. There are many other implications, but these are direct references. 37 times. Do you think John wanted us to know that Jesus was God, sent by God the Father? <laughs> of course. Now, notice fourthly in verse 47 to 51. He qualifies his proclamation as authoritative by the phrase, most assuredly, I say to you. Literally, most assuredly means amen. It's translated verily, verily, truly, truly. The rabbis and the men of old said, Moses said, Rabbi Akiba said, it has been said of old. But Jesus said, I say to you, emphatic. Now when anybody starts saying to you, I say to you, then he must know what he's talking about. And if he does know what he's talking about, he has the authority behind him. Jesus certainly did. He never referred to any authority. He always said, I say to you. He tells him exactly who he was. Verse 47, he is the object of faith for everlasting life. Verse 48, he is the bread of life. Verse 49, he is distinct and superior to the manna that only sustained life, not imparted eternal life. Because they pointed to Moses. Verse 50 and 51, the first portion. He is the living bread that came down to impart eternal life to anyone who chooses to partake. There's the flip side of predestination. To anyone who chooses to partake. And then notice fifthly, the end of verse 51. He is the one who gives his life for the ransom of the sinful world. He came as a sacrifice. Now, what's the background? Passover. What are they doing? They're going to Jerusalem to see a lamb killed, to partake of it, to remember the exodus, the blood, the covering, the angel of death, not getting them, deliverance. The language that Jesus is using, they were to understand based on the backdrop of Passover. And as we're going to see, the problem is they were divorcing it from the very background. Some people are willing to accept Jesus as a good man, a prophet, or even one of the ascended masters of the ages. But that is to misunderstand his person. Jesus is God. And if you cannot accept him as God, he can be and will be nothing else. Remember, he, had, he fed the multitudes, right? And at the end, they say, yes, this is the prophet, speaking of Deuteronomy. Well, that wasn't good enough. You can think he's a moral teacher, a good man, a prophet. But if you don't believe that he's God, then it's not good enough. You misunderstand his person.
Pastor Xavier Reese, wrapping up our time together today with a message entitled, Do You Misunderstand Jesus? And you can hear this message again, if you like, online anytime by selecting today's date under the radio tab at calvarychapelpasadena.com. And let me quickly add that we're only halfway through this study in the Gospel of John, chapter 6. And Pastor Xavier has much more on our next program. So if you won't be able to join us, or if you've missed any part of today's presentation and would like to get your own copy on CD, we can arrange that quite easily. All you need to do is contact us and let us know you'd like a copy of the study entitled, Do You Misunderstand Jesus? And by the way, this is also a great way to pass along this teaching to others you know, too. So once again, the title is, Do You Misunderstand Jesus? Yours for including just $4 when you write to Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Again, that's Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And please don't forget to let us know the call letters of this station when you write or call. Next time, Pastor Xavier clears up more misunderstanding of Jesus with the simple truths found in God's Word. Hope you'll be back. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com